says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he's greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that the Gentiles might also hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And Father, we humbly ask as we continue now in our worship that by your Holy Spirit, you would just help us to honor your son Jesus by just giving attention to the word of God that your spirit may speak to us from what you inspired and wrote within it, that we each have a heart to receive and an ear to hear, Lord. And as always this morning we ask, we don't want to hear wise or persuasive words of a man, but experience that demonstration of your spirit and power speaking something directly and personally to our hearts. So bless your word, Lord. And we ask you to minister to us now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, I'm not, I'm not telling you something that you don't already know, but unfortunately, part of living in this world uh, includes at times periodically having to deal with our own share of personal difficulties. And those personal difficulties, they come in different forms. They come in different measures, some big, some small. But there are going to be times as we live on this planet when we find ourselves being harmed and hurt by other people. There are going to be times as we navigate this world that we face hardship and scary circumstances. There are going to be times when you find yourself feeling abandoned, whether because someone perhaps died in your life or someone just departed from your life in some way. There are going to be times when you find yourself feeling alone. There are going to be times when you find that it seems there's no person there or maybe just no one is actually able to help the things that you're dealing with. Yet it's in these times that we find that we're forced into deeper dependency upon the Lord. It's in those occasions when we're dealing with personal difficulty that we see the faithfulness of the Lord in ways like we never do on other times. And that's really what Paul's describing as he sort of gives this personal testimony to Timothy at the end of this letter, how he, during a time of hardship, experienced the faithfulness of Jesus and how the Lord showed himself to never fail even when others did and how the Lord strengthened him in the midst of those times. And listen, Jesus has not changed and we can expect the exact same thing for each and every one of our lives. The same is available to us. Let's look with me back, if you would, back in verse 14 as Paul begins to speak about these things. He says there in verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. Then he said, you also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our word. So notice Paul identifies here this evil man who had worked in ways somehow to cause Paul much harm, personal harm, both to his life and to his ministry and the things he was doing for the Lord. He refers to him as Alexander the coppersmith, who it did him much harm, he says in verse 14. And then he adds the end of verse 15, a little insight. He says, for he has greatly resisted 
our words. So this man, we know he was a metal worker of some sort. Perhaps that was attached to what happened. And he was clearly an opponent to the Lord's work because Paul says he worked really hard to oppose the speaking of our words, which would refer to the preaching of the gospel, the teaching of the word of God, Paul's ministry. Now, we can't be certain exactly who this is, but apparently Timothy was aware of who Paul was referring to as Paul describes him. And we always have to remember, certainly the book of Acts kind of gives us some clarity on this issue, that whenever Paul the Apostle would go into a new city or new territory, he would start preaching the gospel and plowing up the ground for the kingdom of God. And a lot of times a great spiritual awakening would happen. In fact, one of the great examples of that, for example, is Acts chapter 19, kind of of what I'm referring to here. And as Paul would go in and preach the gospel and an awakening would happen spiritually among the people in the community, as the result of many people repenting and turning away from idolatrous worship, those particularly understand who were metal workers, their profit margin would be cut into real quickly. Because those who were coppersmiths and silversmiths and metal workers, they had a very lucrative business with the people who worshipped the Greek gods with little idols and statues and shrines and all these things. A good deal of their profit margin came from their metal working and making all these little idols and gods the people use. So as Paul would come into a community and he would share the gospel and people would get saved and start following Jesus, all of a sudden they wouldn't be interested in their little idols and statues and gods anymore and the demand would go down and all of a sudden these metal workers found their businesses suffering and that enraged them because it cut into their lucrative profits. So they disliked the fact of what Paul was doing. They despised his gospel preaching and they would seek, and you can see it in the book of Acts, to harm Paul, to hinder him, to drive him out of town. And it's possible, we can't be certain, this could be the case of what happened with Alexander the coppersmith as Paul refers to him and how he caused Paul much harm. 1 Timothy chapter 1, the beginning of the first letter Paul wrote to Timothy, Paul there mentions a man named Hymenaeus and he says, Alexander, same name, he says, whom I've delivered over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme or that is to speak harmfully against the things of the Lord. So uh, that could be a reference to that very Alexander. Whatever this man did, there was a great effort, as I said, to resist the words being spoken by Paul, which means he worked to resist the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which brings salvation to souls, which means he worked in ways to hinder people from getting saved. He worked in ways to bring resistance to the truth of God's word being taught to people in the community. He was a very active enemy of Christianity and he did what he could to oppose and destroy its progress. And not only did he harm people's spiritual and eternal welfare by doing that, but Paul specifically says here in our text this morning that he also brought personal harm to one of the Lord's servants specifically, not just hindering the gospel effort uh, universally and holding people back from getting saved but he actually hurt and harmed Paul personally Paul says there in verse 14 look at the text he says he did me personally much harm one translation renders that he did me a great deal of harm the language that's used there speaks of causing ill treatment through evil words or evil works you know, when you look up the word harm by definition it's defined as causing physical or mental damage or injury. 
So whatever Alexander the coppersmith did, he caused very harmful effects and circumstances in Paul's life. Now, remember, as we said at the beginning of the study, where is Paul at when he's writing this letter? He's in a Mamertine dungeon in very unpleasant circumstances awaiting trial of the Roman government and likely his execution where he would be put to death. So again, perhaps somehow what Alexander the coppersmith had done to Paul is what caused and created Paul to get arrested and to find himself now on trial as a criminal of the Roman government. Whatever things he did, he brought great harm to Paul personally. And let me say this morning by way of application, perhaps you can relate to that because maybe there's an Alexander in your life. Maybe there's someone like Alexander the coppersmith did to Paul. Maybe there is someone in your life, honestly, that has caused you great personal harm in your own life. That has wounded you deeply or done things to you that have caused circumstances that have really brought damage and injury to your life and has harmed you to a great deal. And what they have done has caused you painful struggles and difficulty and hardship and how they've harmed you. Look, Though I am certainly greatly sorry that that happened to you, let me encourage you, you're in good company. Paul was a man of God and he was harmed greatly. Can I remind you, Jesus himself did absolutely nothing wrong to anyone. He only went around doing good. And yet Jesus was mistreated by people. Jesus was hurt and harmed by people through their evil words and their evil works and it puts you in good company. And I want to say to you this morning, don't allow your experience of being harmed. And listen, I want to be sensitive because I realize the range that exists there of personal harm. I've sat with people who've been abused, who've been molested, who've been you know, uh, raped, who've been, I mean, horrific things. I'm not talking about petty somebody stole 50 bucks from you. Human beings can cause some really deep personal harm to other human beings and I don't want to make light of that but let me say in connection to that as well don't let the experience of being harmed stumble you mentally for the rest of your life don't give the devil more mileage out of that than he's already gotten it doesn't have to be something that cripples you and paralyzes you unfortunately such things happen on this sinful world with sinful people but I want you to know this morning the Lord can help you to process that he can help you to navigate the healing and the recuperation and the recovery and can guide you through that. And he wants to assist you because, listen, if anybody knows what it's like to be harmed as a human being, it's Jesus. Jesus was harmed greatly. And Jesus knows how to help those who've been harmed. Notice how Paul handled being greatly harmed. He did two things. Specifically, we can see in these verses. Here's how Paul handled being greatly harmed in this way. First of all, notice Paul committed the matter to the Lord rather than taking personal revenge himself. He committed the matter to the Lord rather than taking personal revenge. Look at the end of verse 14. Paul says, may the Lord repay him according to his works. Now, we have to be careful what Paul's saying there. And some translations, I think, do actually a little better catch the idea there in the, the Greek than actually the New King James. Paul's not angrily asking in a prayer for the Lord to go repay him or take revenge. That's not what Paul's doing. Paul's not in an angry, sarcastic attitude. May the Lord repay him for what... That's not, that's not the heart of Paul there. What Paul is saying there is making an expression of faith which implies his acceptance in faith 
that the Lord will deal with him properly. That's the heart behind what Paul is saying there. He's saying, you know what? May the Lord repay him according to his works. May the Lord just take care of that. And it's kind of just a relinquishing of, of what happened. And he's saying, I know and trust that one day the Lord will repay him for the evil he has done to me. Therefore, I don't need to take personal revenge myself because the Lord will defend me. And the Lord will deal with this situation much more properly and he will allow this situation to unfold properly. And Paul Paul trusted that his big brother Jesus was going to go take care of the bully who caused him harm or whatever he did to him. Look, I I understand that. I I had the privilege of being a younger brother and I had the privilege of being an older brother and and becoming an older brother when I was 14 years old. So quite a year's gap. So look, if, if in kindergarten somebody were bullying my little brother when he was five and I would be about 18, 19 at that time. Uh, look, I, I, I wouldn't take lightly that. And, and if he, like, listen, I got an order. Now look, that would happen when he's in kindergarten. Once he got to about high school, I was way too small for that. But, but when he was in kindergarten, I could do that. My big brother. You know, then I actually was a bigger brother. You know, <laughs> time high school came, I probably wasn't bigger than But I understand that, that the heart of that. And, and Jesus, look, God is your father. Jesus is your big brother if you know the Lord. You got a great team behind you. You know, there have been times people have done me wrong in my life and one of the things it's helped me to relinquish it, especially if you're like, oh, you need to go do something. You need and look, I, I've said it before, look, I really, really feel sad for that person having to answer to my father after what they just did to me. Because I'm a father as well with three daughters and I know what I would do if someone did something to wound one of my children and God's a much bigger, stronger, more powerful, creative, loving father than I am. And how wonderful to be able to have that sense of confidence that rather than get bitter or take matters into our own hands, Paul just released it to the Lord. My big brother, the Lord will repay him according to his works. The Lord will do it properly and justly. And he exercised faith and, and really just set aside his human thoughts and feelings from controlling him and just trust that Jesus would deal with what happened. And when we've been personally harmed, that is really a helpful way to process that, to be able to kind of have that same attitude and mindset. Romans 12 says this, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, God declares, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Great counsel in regards to handling those things. So Paul, notice, commits the matter to the Lord, doesn't take personal revenge. And then secondly, notice what he does as well in verse 15 there. He also cautioned those he loved in good stewardship. This is another wise way to navigate when something harmful and damaging may happen. And it may be necessary at times, not always. But Paul cautioned those he loved in good stewardship. He said, Timothy, this is what happened to me. And then he says, verse 15, you also beware of him. In other words, he sounds the alarm with Timothy because Paul loved Timothy and he loved others. He wanted to what? Shield them from the same hurtful, harmful things happening to them in their lives. And he's saying, look, 
It would be foolish of me and unloving of me when this already happened to me by this unhealthy, dangerous person to not shield other people I love from the same episode happening to them. So Paul speaks up in just honesty and in wisdom and stewardship, he's protecting others out of love so this offender, Alexander, does not repeat the same harmful actions to other victims, to other people who Paul loved and Paul cared about. So he's properly warning about a genuinely dangerous and unhealthy person. Look, Jesus himself did that. Jesus did that. And I want to say, I know it may not always apply, but if you clearly know someone is a harmful individual and you clearly know someone is unhealthy and dangerous to some degree and can harm others, it is loving and good stewardship to caution those you care about. To say something it doesn't have to be critical, but it should be constructive and honest. Hey, you just want to say, be careful. This is what's true about that person. And just to lovingly caution others in good stewardship that's a gracious thing to do and it's wisdom and good stewardship well at this point paul then begins to timothy some kind of testimony of his experiences of being on trial before the roman government leading up to where he is headed to once again appear before the roman government he says verse 16 notice at my first defense no one stood with me but all forsook me may it not be charged against them now this is one of those shocking but true experiences that does happen in life to all of us and that is this paul describes how when he stood trial the first time in defense of his innocence all he was doing was preaching the gospel and he was made out to be a criminal so when he stood trial the first time to give defense of his innocence paul says look at verse 16 there that no one showed up to speak in defense of paul to clear his innocence to validate that he wasn't a criminal. Rather, it says there in the text, verse 16, Paul says, all, that is all who could have helped him forsook him in that hard situation. That is out of selfishness, out of fear of the Roman government and the consequence that may come upon them for associating with the apostle Paul. They abandoned Paul and did not stand up for him or do anything to support him in the hardest and one of the most difficult hours of his life. Now, can I just say, given all the Apostle Paul had done for so many people and the cause of Christianity, one would expect, would you not, uh, that when he stood trial to give defense for his innocence of preaching the gospel, people would have lined up in droves to want to testify on this guy's behalf and say, look, we want to defend this man. He's done that. And, and you would think that there would be lines of people ready to stand with him, to speak on his behalf, to support him in this hard hour. Yet no one remained loyal to him. Not a single faithful comrade, not one person proved to be a faithful friend or a supportive, committed individual. They forsook Paul and sadly at a time when he needed their help the most. At the hardest hour of his life, he was facing one of his most difficult experiences. It was a scary and difficult situation and he found no one standing with him during the storm, facing the wind and the waves all by himself. And again, can I say perhaps this morning, you can relate to that kind of hard experience. Maybe there has been a time in your own life when something similar happened to you, when you really needed people to stand with you. Maybe it was friends. Maybe it was family. 
Maybe it was a situation where you really just needed someone to stand there with you or to, to, to be supportive on your behalf or to defend you for something that certainly you had not been guilty of and yet the opposite happened. The people who you thought, I mean, certainly they would stand with me. Certainly they would be supportive of me. Certainly they would, they're a faithful friend or, I mean, this is my family member. Certainly my family would never forsake. And, and sometimes we find ourselves like Paul thinking, and they forsook me? No one stood with me? No one proved to be a faithful friend or a, you know, a loyal individual? And, and look, that's a, that's a really difficult experience to find yourself standing alone in a situation where you really need support. And let me just say, if it has not happened yet, let me forewarn you, there may come a time when you find yourself standing in a situation, facing the fire, walking through the flood, and it happens to you that you find yourself standing there all alone. Where you've been abandoned, forsaken. I wish I could assure you that every human relationship that's meaningful and close to you right now is going to last into your dying breath. But let me be honest to tell you, it probably won't. And I don't say that to be critical. I'm just trying to be realistic. But there is one that sticks closer than a brother. His name's Jesus. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. And human beings can't promise that. Things change. Situations happen. People are fickle. People, you know, just circumstances and life happens and and, and people can't grant that assurance, but yet it's a painful thing when you find yourself, like Paul, forsaken and, you, and you're, th I can't believe I've been forsaken. Well, look how well Paul handles this painful disappointment he endured. Look at verse 16. He says, may it not be charged against them. I mean, let, let's just be genuinely honest here. I am certain that had to cause such heartache to Paul when nobody came to his defense. I mean, you want to talk about a major disappointment blow in somebody's life? Here's Paul, all the churches he planted and people he pastored and love and kindness and help he had given, people he led to Christ. And Paul's thinking, okay, this is my worst day. Boy, court's going to go on for six hours. And, and Paul's waiting and no one. You want to talk about the bottom of the barrel of disappointment and heartache, yet he did not let the emotional hurt and the struggle with natural human thoughts and feelings, he's a human being, he didn't let that consume him and overwhelm him. Instead, what do you see him doing? He doesn't get angry or bitter. Instead, he's compassionate. He's patient with people's shortcomings and failures and mistakes the fellow believers around him though they led him down deeply and though i'm certain it hurt him greatly instead you see paul here showing grace to people in their greatest weaknesses i mean he had every reason to just speak his mind and you know, but he just total grace he just sheds complete grace he says lord may it not be held against them I'm sure he said, Lord, it, it hurts. Hurts that they let me down after this. Hurts that after all I did for them, that they would forsake me and abandon me. And, and it hurts that they weren't faithful. But you know what, Lord? They're just weak. Lord, don't hold it against them. Don't charge it against them. And he just graciously expresses this forgiving attitude and spirit towards those who had let him down. And let me just say for us this morning, what a notable example in the word of God that we would seek to aspire towards the same, that we'd be merciful and patient and have a gracious and a forgiving spirit with people's weaknesses. And when they fail us personally, 
or they let us down in some way deeply in the times when they are failing to follow through and maybe again it was their own personal fears and something or just a time of weakness in their life but that we would be willing to be merciful and gracious in our spirit towards them and I understand it's hard when people let us down and they don't stand with us it's a hard thing to process especially if you've done a lot to help out and it seems that they should just definitely be devoted and then they perhaps totally aren't it's tough dealing with those feelings and thoughts and if you're not careful that kind of stuff can really overcome you as a person and it can just begin to paralyze you and make you bitter and and cynical but look i want to say it is possible to be gracious and forgiving with people it is possible to extend grace and patience in people's weaknesses and failures. Ephesians 4.32 commands us as Christians, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Oh, you don't understand what they've done. You don't understand what they've done to me. Maybe I don't. But more than once, I'm sure you've done something to offend God. And the Bible says, even as God in Christ forgave you. In a sense, God is saying to the Christian, do do you really have a claim to hold on to anger and bitterness and animosity or hatred or whatever it's boiled up to now toward that person for letting you down or hurt? When I've released you of everything, when I've released you and shown grace to you for every wrong thing you've done towards me as a holy and a righteous God, And see, that becomes a standard, even as God in Christ forgave you, that forgiveness is to be extended, that we're to release them with that gracious spirit. Colossians 3 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies and kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And if anyone has to complaint against another, here it is again, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do see that's the standard quite honestly it should be much 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 did I say much yet much much easier for Christians to forgive and release people than unsaved people because we've been forgiven and loved much and so we should extend the same and we have the power of the Holy Spirit of God to enable us supernaturally to do something above our feelings and emotions and scars and wounds that unsaved people don't. I want to say something just very candidly. I, at times, get to see situations, and I tell you, it saddens me to such a degree that I know occasions, family squabbles and situations or issues that happen, I know occasions where I have watched unsaved people forgive and reconcile and love and move on after some major you know catastrophe or few years of not talking or I mean I've watched unsaved people do that and then I see Christians who don't and it just shocks me and I think well how is that possible here are unsaved people they're doing that and and Christians are in their own way sort of justifying still and holding on to their little grudges and, and, and having their perspectives and totally, in my perspective, quenching the Spirit of God and disregarding the Word of God and continuing to just keep up a wall in a fortress. That's sad. Sad. God, help us. We're to be setting the standard. We have the Word of God. We have the truth of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And Paul here, wounded deeply, but yet like Jesus, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Again, he, he didn't hold this against them. He was willing to release it and, and, and to let it go, though it wounded him deeply. Notice what Paul learned as well through the experience of being let down, verse 16. He, what he learned through it, he says, yeah, at my first offense, no one stood with me. But look at this, verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Paul experienced firsthand in the hardship, what, the faithfulness and personal help of Jesus. He experienced the strength of Jesus and he saw Jesus bring a great deliverance. A few things that are very obvious. Paul says, you know what? No one stood with me, but I love the first thing he draws attention to in verse 17. He experienced the support of the Lord in hard and lonely times. He says, no one else stood with me, all forsook me but there's the emphasis the Lord stood with me the Lord stood with me he never abandoned ship when no one else was there for Paul in a time when he was hurtfully abandoned and very alone the Lord showed up and he was there with his presence to support Paul through the process in that hard and lonely hour when he was facing great difficulty Paul sensed the presence of the Lord in a way like he never had before he sensed the Lord being there by his side, standing with him, comforting him, encouraging him. And I'm sure that must have been wonderful as he felt so lonely and he felt so abandoned to just sense the presence of his Lord standing there with him and the comforting voice of Jesus saying, Paul, don't be afraid. I'm still with you. I'm still with you. I'm still standing with you. And maybe others aren't, but, but I'm standing with you still. And I'm not just standing with you, Paul. I'm standing for you. And I'm here in support of you. And I'm going to give you the grace and the help. And, and, and during this process, I'm going to support you through it. And I imagine that must have been such a wonderful thing. And look, sometimes we may go through hard and lonely things and we have to experience hard and lonely things to experience the support of the Lord in our lives. To genuinely for ourselves have our own encounter with the presence of the Lord that, that we might never know otherwise and sense that He is standing there with us. And unlike people, as I said, the Lord will never abandon you. He'll always be there in support no matter what you go through, the flood or the fire. Isaiah 43 says this, God declares, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. Why? Because the Lord's with you in it. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had to be in the fiery furnace before the Lord showed up and stood there and supported them. But he preserved them through the fire. Jesus showed up in the storm with his disciples. The Lord always shows his great support. Secondly, notice as well, Paul not only extends the support of the Lord, but he also experienced, we can see here, being strengthened by the Lord when he was weak and weary in the hardship. He was also strengthened by the Lord. He says, the Lord stood with me, verse 17, and he strengthened me. So Paul says, in the midst of my hardest hour, when I was going through what I was, I felt defeated. I felt discouraged. I felt weary and weak. And he says, but the Lord strengthened me. He strengthened me within. 
He gave me the endurance and the, the grace and the enablement to carry onward day by day, probably sometimes hour by hour. Paul says he just kept giving me that measure of strength that I needed through the process. I'm sure he felt wearied, but he kept being strengthened inwardly because Jesus' powerful presence was working in Paul. And whatever grace he needed, Jesus strengthened him and strengthened him again and again, day after day. And Paul learned how to adjust to life circumstances and experiences by depending upon the strength of the Lord. Whether it was easy or hard, he learned how to always depend upon the strength of the Lord. Remember Paul made that statement in first, uh, Philippians chapter 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he was talking about, I can you know, be poor, I can be rich, I can be hard times, I can do all things, I can handle every circumstance through Christ who strengthens me. And the wonderful thing is, listen, Jesus promised to you is the same. The same is available to you. The same Jesus that helped Paul the Apostle, if you're a Christian, dwells within you by the power and the presence of his spirit. And he can strengthen you. And he can help you. Whatever it is that's hard, the weight of it, the difficulty of it, when you feel weak and discouraged, the Lord can strengthen you by his spirit and empower you in your weariest times. Again, Isaiah declares in chapter 41, God says this, perhaps it's for you this morning, fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The Lord can strengthen us. Notice at the end of verse 17 as well, the Lord was faithful to Paul, not just for him, but also for the benefit of others. Because Paul said, He strengthened me so that the message could be preached fully that the Gentiles might hear. Paul was called to preach the gospel to the Gentile people, that they might be saved. So one of the reasons, what Paul's saying, why the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, one, it was yes for me because he loves me as a servant, but he said it was also because the Lord cared about the bigger picture, which is that I was called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles because people would get saved that way. And he said, Jesus didn't just care about me, he cared about all the people connected to my life. And that I might be able to fulfill my calling. And Paul realized that when the Lord did what he did for him, it really was twofold. Yes, in its first sense, it was for Paul, but it also was for the bigger picture and all the people that Paul would influence and help by continuing to carry on. And look, when the Lord works in your life, it's always going to be twofold. He doesn't want to help you just for you. He also wants to help you because your life is a vessel and a testimony to everybody else that you're connected to. And so he wants to see you make it. He wants to see you follow through and finish and that you wouldn't fall apart because he says, yeah, I want to work in you, but what I also want to do is I want to work through you because there's lots of other people I can impact by you continuing to carry on. And so the Lord's got more at stake just than keeping me going. More at stake than just keeping you going. He cares about all the people you're connected to. And so his faithfulness will be there to support you. And he experienced the Lord's ability to bring about great deliverance because he says at the end of verse 19, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now, that's very picturesque language. I don't know exactly what Paul's referring to, but the picture is very clear. Lions are strong, ferocious, dangerous, destructive, correct? And I don't know about you. I watch the Discovery Channel a little bit, but usually if you're caught in the mouth of a lion, it doesn't end too well. Typically, if you are caught in the mouth of a lion, chances are pretty slim you're going to survive or get delivered. 
But take note, nothing is too hard for the Lord. That's what that's just saying. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. Mouth of a lion. No problem for Jesus. Most dangerous, there's no way. Jesus goes, there's always a way. I am the way, remember? (laughs) There's always a way. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. You don't understand the, 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 the crunch is coming down, the teeth are shutting, the jaws are shutting around me. And Jesus says, I can deliver out of the mouth of a lion. I did it for Paul. Now, what Paul's referring to could be the, a reference to the Roman emperor who often was referred to in, in that symbolic language of a ferocious lion. Or he could be referring to the devil's grasp, just sort of spiritually. Because remember, First Peter says, referring to the devil, to be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So maybe that's what Paul's talking about, that he just sensed that this was totally satanic the attack and sometimes Paul said you know I can tell it is the devil just coming in on me like a flood like a roaring lion he wants to devour me yet Paul says of the Lord's faithfulness and intervention but he says but you know what I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion oh he was trying to get me but I was Jesus came in he delivered me right out of the mouth of the lion he was ready to take his last chump I was almost done and he snatched me out of the mouth of the lion and what a wonderful thing to know that perhaps you at times in your life can look back and and maybe you look at that language and you say, you know, there was a time in my life when that's kind of where I I was right in the mouth of the lion. He was ready to swallow. And Jesus, in his love, in his faithfulness, stepped in right in that moment and by the grace of God just snatched you right out of the mouth of the lion healed you up and restored you and put you back on a different path. How wonderful that the Lord can bring such powerful deliverance. And I love what Paul's doing. What's happening? Here's an older Christian man giving what? Testimony of the faithfulness of the Lord in his life to a younger Christian man, Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, listen, let me tell you what the Lord's done in my life. Timothy, because you're going to face the same kind of stuff, man. Let me tell you what the Lord's done in my life. He's never failed me in the hardest situations. And can I say this morning, let's do the same for those younger around us, whether younger chronologically or younger spiritually, that we would share our experiences of the faithfulness of the Lord, that we would tell others. Listen, you're going to fight the same battles and the same line and you're going to be hurt and wounded, but but let me encourage you, the Lord will never fail you. He never failed me. Let me tell you how he never failed me. He was always faithful. And that we would pass on that testimony to encourage those who at times are facing the same things coming up behind us. I love what Paul says in verse 18 in connection to this. He says, And the Lord will, that is going forward, deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom forever. To him be glory forever and ever so notice Paul's past experience with Jesus faithfulness gave Paul confidence that the Lord would then never fail him going forward he looked back on the past faithfulness of the Lord to give him faith in the Lord to trust Jesus for whatever difficult things he faced going forward he says the Lord delivered me past tense and he says and he will deliver me from every evil work He says, no matter what the devil throws against me, whatever evil is done to try and harm me in my life, whatever the difficulty, he says, I know the Lord will always show up. 
He's always going to show up. And He'll keep delivering me and doing whatever it takes to work out the will of God for my life. The Lord's never failed me and He won't fail me in the future either. And to be able to rest in that confidence of the completed faithfulness of Jesus. Paul's the one that said, remember, being confident of this very thing, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And that the Lord would just continue. And Paul says, look, I know. One thing I do know, Paul says, they may execute me, they may take my physical life, and I don't know, the Lord may allow that. But he says, I know this. Look at the text. He's preserved me for his heavenly kingdom. So Paul says, they can strip everything from me on this earth. They can abuse me and hurt me. But what I do know is they cannot stop Jesus from safely delivering me into his heavenly kingdom, no matter what. That's guaranteed. That's assured. Nothing could take away his future access from this hard and painful world by being given free access into the eternal dimension because of the gift of God, which is eternal life through Christ. And Paul says, no one can take that from me. He found rest and assurance in current hardships. How? By focusing on what? Heaven. He's given personal testimony. A lot of hard things have happened to me, Paul says. This guy, he really harmed me bad. I mean, he really, this person, they, they harmed my life greatly. And people that have hurt me. And, and times when I thought people would be there in faithfulness, they didn't stand for me. People have abandoned me. My closest friends, even spiritual brothers and sisters who I thought would be there. And he says, I've been forsaken and abandoned and hurt and wounded. But he says, the Lord always stood with me. He strengthened me. He supported me. He always comes through and delivers me. And he says, and here's the best news, Timothy. One day, he's going to deliver me out of here. Because <laughs> he's preserved me for the heavenly kingdom. And one day, I'm going to get out of here. And even in all the hardships, the reality is, in all those things, Jesus was faithful. That's why Paul would say in Romans 8, that it's in all these things that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's in all the hardships that we're still able to conquer those things rather than be conquered by the hardships of this life. We can conquer how it says through him who loved us, through the love of Jesus. And the wonderful thing, ladies and gentlemen, is this. No matter what happens here, the Lord is ultimately delivering us into his heavenly kingdom. And Revelation 21 says this, there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And see, as Paul pondered the faithfulness of Jesus and the future that Jesus was preserving for him, do you see what it did? Paul says at the end of verse 18, to him be glory forever and ever. And he gets Pentecostal. Amen. <laughs> what, what's happening? Spontaneous worship. Spontaneous worship. As Paul pondered the goodness and the faithfulness of Jesus in his life and the power the Lord had shown in his life and all the times the Lord had stood there and what the Lord had intended for him in his future, Paul just said, to him be glory forever and ever. And Paul says, that's what I'm going to be doing forever. I can't help but to do it now. I got to worship. And it was the natural outflow of experiencing the goodness and power and love and faithfulness of the Lord in his life. And listen, worship should always be the natural response of the person who's had an experience with the Lord. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together.